Hello and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast. I hope you're all having a lovely week and have a great weekend too. And what better way to start your weekend than listening to the latest episode of the TFA Podcast. And it's that time of the month again at TFA. This past Monday, which fell on the 1st of May or on the May Bank holiday, depending on where you are in the world, the TFA magazine hit your virtual shelves. 178 pages of pure analysis content, including 20 full-length articles, two of them are from yours truly, so do check that out, thank you. You can get your copy immediately by becoming a member for just €5.99 a month now. Along with our monster monthly magazine, you get a second TFA Scouted magazine mid-month, where we tell you about 20-plus under-the-radar talents. You also get 40-plus articles a month delivered daily on the website. On top of that, you get access to the archives of 8,000-plus tactical data and scouting analysis articles from the last five years. Inside the magazine, there is also an incredibly insightful article written by a regular guest on this podcast, Coach Scott Martin, which is titled Ideologues versus Tacticians, the Battle for Domestic and Continental Title. There is a theory that managers like Carlo Ancelotti and Jose Mourinho, who are more adaptable tacticians, perform better in European competitions than those who are more ideological and and philosophy-driven, such as the Pep Guardiola's and the Arsene Wenger's of the world. We often hear narratives that Pep is an overthinker, But is there actually any truth in this? In correlation with the release of the magazine, Scott Martin has agreed to come on the podcast once again to talk about his findings from the piece. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoy the following episode. Before we begin, though, please make sure to rate the podcast five stars, please. It's genuinely appreciated so, so much. If the podcast is to continuously grow and get better guests on, we'll need your help. So it really does mean a lot if you would give us a five star rating and we'll do our best to bring you our very best audio content. Anyway, enough of me waffling. Let's go speak to our very own Coach Scott Martin. Scott, welcome back to the TFA podcast. How have you been? I'm doing well, Adam. How are you? I'm great. It feels like we speak so regularly now, but you keep coming out with these incredible magazine pieces that I can't ignore because they're so they're so interesting. As I said, I read your I read. You, I said this to you off air, of course, but I read the the piece on ideologues versus tacticians, and I just loved it. I really loved it. Now we were going to do a podcast anyway. We had planned this in advance, but when I read it, I was like, "Oh God, yeah, it's going to make for a great episode." I really liked it. I thought it was amazing. So, so fair play. It was a it was a Thank wonderful you. piece. How long did it? Because I know you said to me that the database took about forty hours to build, which is obscene. How long did the entire piece take? Because it like. You obviously have to write, and then the there was the editing, making the making the the graphics as well. the The database was definitely the most time consuming part. <laughs> thank goodness. Mm. Uh, you know, I think when everything was added together, it's probably only forty five, forty six hours. So it really just goes to show how time consuming this database was. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you know, I I guess to to kind of go through the process. I mean, Adam, you and I talked about this off air a couple of months ago. Um, yeah. You know, I, I figured May would be the perfect time for this this piece. You know, I, mm-hmm. like I said in the, the article, May is the month of champions. You know, we, we have league champions being crowned. Champions League final is weeks away. So this is the perfect time to release this kind of a piece. So it, <laughs> it really was two months of, of trying to figure out how to write it. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the the main issue um so fortunately 
you started the the tactics talk thread in uh mm -hmm. in total football analysis on our <laughs> slack channel so uh between you dk lori and mac uh you guys were a massive help in kind of building out this idea because I, I honestly had no idea how to how to go about this um you know i asked satish about it as well and he's like yeah building out a game model from data to to give some kind of an idea of how these guys play and then put them into groups that's a big task yeah. so um so i mean thank you to everyone who contributed ideas this was this is definitely a team project getting this done well so, i thought we i actually thought we would have overwhelmed you i kind of felt bad because when we were putting all the ideas into the chat i thought there's so many different ideas coming in i thought oh my god he's gonna he's gonna like he's gonna cry or his laptop will explode there's so many it's like i had different ideas and then mac puts them in laurie and then there was dk as well i was like oh oh my god there's like he he's tried to find help of how to structure the piece and we've we've all just gone into different tangents to make it even more difficult well and those tangents were valuable so mm -hmm. it, it gave me gave me some ideas on how to approach the piece um and you know some of the recommendations like when i am right that was a really good shout mm -hmm. from i think it was from dom and yeah. you know ultimately he did factor in um because the way i put together this list which which was really you know that was really ground zero i, I had to figure out who i wanted to include in this database i, di I didn't even have that mm. so i decided i was going to look primarily at the winners of the champions league europa league and uh you know this new conference league which only includes Mourinho at this point and Fortunately, he does factor in with those other competitions too. But I figured I would carry it out 15 years, see who won it, which leagues were representative in that uh, that pool. And then from there, go look at the league and cup champions domestically from the countries that were most represented. Mm -hmm. So, And that just happened to be um, Spain, England, Italy, and Germany. So I helped to to narrow down that base. Uh, overall, you know, if I if I were to look at every league, uh, it, it's just too overwhelming, too mm -hmm. big a project. Well, quite often when we think of tacticians versus ideologues, you think of Ancelotti and Pep, and Ancelotti played a massive part in this piece. It, it, the data on Ancelotti was crazy. The barn, the, the his barn side especially con contrasted to Everton was, was so bizarre to watch on every oh, graph. It's like two were, different coaches. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> Absolutely incredible when you see Barn versus Everton. And it was what four years apart in terms of when he coached them. But my God, the, the day it was was ludicrous. But we often think of Pep Guardiola and people say he's an overthinker and do managers like Ancelotti, who are more flexible and as you said, like they're they're more tactically adaptable more flexible they do they do better in competitions such as you know the champions league europa league europa conference conference league now too and um, one manager i didn't think of somehow was arsene wenger and at the start of the piece you name dropped arsene wenger a few times and then contrasted him with jose Mourinho's porto side i thought that was amazing because i actually i know i knew both of these things happened at the same time but yeah Arsene Wenger's Invincibles won the league the same month or, or within the same time sphere as, as Jose Mourinho's Porto. And yet, on paper, you would comfortably say 
Arsenal had the better team than, than Porto did. I mean, Arsenal had Patrick Vieira and Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp and Jungberg and, and all these incredible players, whereas Porto had some good players like Deco, etc. But it, it wasn't... I mean, we're talking about like Andre and Vieira here. But yet, they, they failed in Europe. They got knocked out of the quarterfinals. I thought that was a really good premise to start the piece because it was something I didn't think of. Because, as I said to you, Pep Guardiola is always the one who's labelled as the... He's the ideologue and he overthinks in Europe. But it was... I suppose the first one was... But yeah, it was... Was Arsene Wenger? Yeah, and you know that actually that recommendation came from our own Jamie Brackpool. So more credit, more credit. So, uh, yeah. So I think for us, we were going back on and forth on who should feature, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, I, I think I put Pep and and Ancelotti initially as the the featured images. Yeah, and. You know, they're just overused. So, you know, I, I can understand from an artistic license uh, point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's a little boring for Jamie. So, yeah, Jamie did talk me into uh, Arsene Wenger. The more I looked into it, the more that made sense to put him there. Um, so he did have a highly defined style of play. He, he arguably was the coach of the most famous Premier League team in history. You know, every year, once that last undefeated team drops their drops their uh, their points, you know, every every Arsenal fan celebrates. You know, you yeah. see it on social media. Uh, the the legacy of the Invincibles lives on. So, you know, for me, that that did make a great comp. And then when you research that year that they were the Invincibles, it, I mean, it was just perfect that mm-hmm. Mourinho happened to win the Champions League with that Porto side. And yeah, I think you're right. If you put those two sides up against each other. Nine times out of ten, Arsenal's probably going to win six, seven times. Mm-hmm. But I think that goes to show the impact of the tacticians and their adaptability from matchup to matchup. When you get into the the one-off games or the two-leg ties, you, you got to think that their ability to adapt to opponents is really the 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 strength that's going to carry them through these tournaments. I, I mean, look at Real Madrid's run in the Champions League last year. Mm. No one was calling for them to win. I, I mean, it's somehow it's considered one of the best Champions League upsets in history, despite the fact that it's Real Madrid. Yeah. Uh, but they had no right beating Liverpool or Chelsea or Manchester City, but they did. The Manchester City one was the one that stood out the most to people because that was, I mean, they. I remember that first half at the Etihad Stadium. They were mauled. And yet it was just somehow through sheer willpower and 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 just god's might they stayed in the tie and then turned it around within what i think stoppage time of the next leg unbelievable yeah well and you know that that should get everyone thinking you know mm-hmm. what is it with a club like real madrid it, what's built into their dna that can help them have hope when they need two goals at the end of the second leg in the champions league against a behemoth like man city to overturn the tie. I, I, I mean, there. I think when you look at it, that should have been an insurmountable obstacle for them. But with a club like Real Madrid, um, I think just the fact that they are a highly adaptable club, the players understand that when some things aren't working, they they have the the tactical IQ, mm. they have the wherewithal to just try something different, to try something new. Uh, and, and I think it was that game in particular where you had. Modric and Cruz on the sideline 
giving Ancelotti yeah. advice on on what the, I mean that's that's just the perfect image of what mm. this club is. You know, it's you do have eleven people on the field actively solving problems instead of you know these are the patterns you need to run. Yeah, this is what our shape needs to look at at all times to, to make it work. They don't need that. Mm-hmm. So you know that that can help, and they definitely have patterns in how they position themselves. Um, but if that doesn't work, you know, if all goes to hell, they can figure out something else. They can make the most of a bad situation. Well, it comes right? back and to it, it, tacticians. Yeah, it comes back to a debate we've had in the podcast several times about you know more rigid positional play type coaches, and do they take away the the the, the, the part of the game where it leaves the players to problem solve. And we spoke about relationism in the past uh, numerous times in the podcast, but just in general, does positional play put too much emphasis on the sideline and the coach to figure out issues where more, I suppose, more adaptive managers like Ancelotti, the players figure it out. And as you said, there was that that wonderful clip where Modric and Cruz are talking to Ancelotti as if he's coming on, you know, they're the managers and he's coming on at left back to, to, to shore the game up. It's amazing. And I love it. So it, as I said, it's, it's an age old topic and it, it's an interesting topic. There's no right or wrong answer. There's probably no, this is probably the closest we've gotten to having a conclusive, not conclusive answer, but a, a good idea of whether adaptable managers kind of have more success than those, these ideologues, but which we'll get on to know shortly. What I do want to know is, how did you sort managers into the two categories, tacticians or ideologues? Yeah, so really at the heart of this data analysis was the idea of consistency of approach. And so that's that's where, fortunately, Scout did limit me to the, uh, the 2015-16 season. Uh, that's as far as their advanced data will go. So it gave me a chance to look at, uh, I guess, to first determine my KPIs. So, you know, what were those key performance mm-hmm. um, indicators that I was looking for? Um, and then once those were established, how much variation do we see across the managers? And one thing I really wanted to, to do, um, so I think as a, you know, someone who follows La Liga very closely, um, I'm always shocked at how well Real Madrid tends to do against the top of the table. And how poorly they tend to do against the bottom half. Barcelona is historically the opposite. You know, they, mm-hmm. they do okay against the top half of the table, but they smash the bottom half. I mean, it's it's not even remotely close in some years, you know, it just in terms of how many points they gain, uh, those two teams gain off the bottom half. So I wanted to find some kind of distinction in how I was measuring these statistics to to really pull out any discrepancies in how they approach the game. So ultimately what I decided was I was going to look at the top six. So top six half or top six in the table in uh, in league. And then in Champions League, I figured, you know, the caliber of the teams in that competition, um, they're high enough where for the most part, they're going to finish top six mm-hmm. in any of those four leagues. Um, for the Europa League, I skipped the group stage. But anyone who made it to uh, the knockout rounds, they were included in, you know, part of this elite group. So, um, you know, I think in the the article, I, I write them as top six and, and kind of all other opponents. So that was my way of distinguishing, um, you know, the, the cream of the crop from, you know, the teams that realistically these 
these elite managers should be beating. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, once once that was determined, you know, I looked at not only possession, which, you know, it's, I think when you look at it from the perspective of top six or top teams versus all others, it, it's definitely interesting. Um, but I wanted to see where the teams were recovering the ball. You know, it, when you look at someone like Ancelotti, they you can find some massive differences in high recoveries across his years as a coach. Um, for Pep, his teams are going to recover the ball high up the pitch regardless. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it just doesn't matter who's on his team, uh, which club he's coaching. And granted, he has benefited from coaching strictly elite clubs. But um, I wanted to look for differences in the way they approach the better teams first the the others and you know that that's really where the two groups come into play um so the greater the inconsistency or the greater the variance based on um from a year-to-year perspective the um i guess you know that that's where it was a sign that i needed to put them with the tacticians you know the people who were highly adaptable Mm -hmm. whereas the people who were more consistent were in the um the ideologues section and even there, I think it is important to notice that in the article, you not only have Pep and Klopp as representatives of the ideologues, but you also have Claudio Ranieri. Well, this is what I actually wanted to say to you next, because when you think of ideologues, you think of your Peps, your 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 Nagelsmanns, your Klopps, quite possession-heavy managers who are, who are very stuck in their ways about the philosophy they they you know they tend to use with teams, and they're very specific and consistent with that style as you said pep you know if there's more diversity on the table that usually means a manager is more adaptable like an Ancelotti's Everton versus Bayern Munich crazy but pep's teams are usually all kind of in a one in the one cluster um but but speaking of ideologues Ranieri fits into that because he's he's really consistent with the way he wants to to his teams to play football and and you don't necessarily have to agree with the style he uses it's quite conservative and and, and count, it's a counter-attacking style but he's very consistently down the the bottom left of the graphs when it comes to things like possession and etc so I thought that was a cool distinction because in my mind as I said to you ideologues were the peps of the world but Ranieri fits into that too yeah same with the uh, Simeone too mm-hmm. um, you know and there's been talk of this you know now the club's investing they're bringing more attacking players does Atletico change the way they play and I think he's tried at times, but it hasn't worked well. Yeah. So and he has defaulted back to, you know the, uh, you know the the tried and true method. And you know he, I think it was uh, it was back in August. He he had some kind of a quote um, before a match, which you know was Ajax has a defined school, Barcelona has it, Juventus too, and Atletico Madrid, but Real Madrid uh, they don't. So and it alternates based on the talent uh, and the different ways of presenting themselves. And, you know, I, I think that there is some truth there. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to, you know, I wouldn't throw Real Madrid under the bus and say, yeah, could be a totally different team every year. Mm-hmm. But they have different ways of playing. Um, whereas, you know, in Atletico Madrid, the, you know what you're going to get. You know, that any team coached by Claudio Ranieri, whether it's Watford, Sampdoria, Fulham, Nantes, uh, Leicester City, you know. That, or Atletico Madrid, like he did in the t- 2000s, was it? But the other nineties, it could have been Ranieri manager at Atletico Madrid. Sorry, he's yeah, he's been around forever. 
<laughs> well, even a match Atletico Madrid, that, that is a sign that they have a very distinct style of play. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I think with these managers, even if it is, you know, I guess we would say a little more negative, you know, that that's maybe the, the catch first thrown around. I wouldn't, I don't like to put it that way, but definitely more defensive, more pragmatic, you know, that that's just their way of imposing their will upon the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that with possession or without possession. So Ranieri, uh, Simeone, they have figured out how to do this exceptionally well without the ball. So that is their way. They are ideologues in that regard because they are highly consistent across the board, you know, across mm-hmm. all these metrics, uh, just in the way they impose themselves on the game. Well, well that is true. And, and what I also found interesting was the kind of positional attack variants you used positional attack data to to find the the the, the I suppose whether managers were adaptable or not and as I mentioned before Ancelotti's Everton versus Bayern Munich side were very it was an interesting uh, observation to say the least because his Bayern side were top right of the graph and Everton were down the bottom left and it was it was so bizarre that you'd think the same manager coached them what I want to ask you though is about and you mentioned this in your article Club culture, because when it comes to Ancelotti, he is a very adaptable manager. But at Real Madrid, he didn't have the, you know, with arguably a better group of players. Arguably, I say it's 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 completely subject. It's completely subjective, of course. But at Real Madrid, he has a better group of players, and yet he doesn't hit the heights of on some of the graphs as he did at Bayern Munich. But then it comes down, I suppose, to club culture, and Bayern Munich were very consistent in that. Do you? I mean, was that kind of the takeaway you found as well, that managers were, depending, regardless of the club, the club was very consistent. So whether it be Ancelotti there or whether it be Pep or whether it be Nagelsmann, it was very consistent in terms of the style. Yes, very much so. Um, and in anticipation of this question, I, I did put together <laughs> another uh, another tab on my spreadsheet <laughs> to uh, look at some of the numbers here. And that's where, when you look at... Manchester City, Bayern Munich. Um, actually, surprisingly, Real Madrid was pretty close here too. Mm. Um, there's not a whole lot of difference in the outcomes versus the top teams versus the bottom. You know, in terms of goals per game, uh, goals allowed, xG, uh, xGA. So there wasn't a massive distinction there, and and actually it was. Of the the clubs that I looked at, it was it was Chelsea that had the greatest variance across um, Conte, Sari, and Tuchel in uh, in the outputs across those metrics. So, you know, that it, doesn't it, that, that doesn't really surprise me though when you think of the 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 different types of managers they brought in. Like when you when you go from Antonio Conte to a Maurizio Sari within a couple of months of each other, it's highly different in terms of style and. The way they want to implement their 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 philosophy on the game. Yeah, well, and and that's where even when you have a Maurizio Sarri, he was there for a season. Mm-hmm. Like, can't implement Sarri ball in one season. That's it's far <laughs> too complex. So you know, I I think if if he stays there for three, four, five years, you know, we we start to see that tactical identity come into play. Mm-hmm. But with a club like Chelsea, it's it's not really a project club. You're there to have success for a year or two, and then it's the next guy in the door. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, 
you can't really implement um, the kind of system that an ideologue wants within that time frame. It, it does have to be something a little more universal and a little more dependent on uh, you know basic game principles with a high level of adaptability from opponent to opponent. Otherwise, I mean, just you're just not going to get the results you want. Did you find, and I know you didn't really discuss this in the piece, so I'm sorry if I if I put you on the spot here, but did you find that managers like Carlo Ancelotti, who you would classify in your piece as notoriously adaptable or, or Jose, that they struggled more or were more successful if they went to clubs where, like I, I'm, I'm, I suppose the best example, as I said to you, was Ancelotti the Bayern Munich. It seemed like a strange fit at the time anyway. Because when you think he's such an adaptable manager and he's going into an environment where they have very clearly from the data you used a very structured way of playing, a very set way of playing that they want you to press high, they want you to have the ball to dominate possession, to put lots of crosses in and score goals, etc. Did you find that they struggled a bit more or they were they were pretty okay because they're so adaptable, they can adapt to any environment? Yeah, you know, I I think when you look at them relative to that club's performances in previous seasons, they did just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ancelotti won the league, didn't win the Champions League, but you know, it was a good season for him, um, at least good enough. So, you know, with Mourinho, he, Jose always seems to get a little bit better from his teams than they haven't before he arrives. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that they are experts in the quick fix. And, you know, maybe that's why a club like like Chelsea loves that kind of a manager. Uh, you know, maybe that's why someone who comes into Real Madrid, you know, they're, they're probably only going to stay for two or three years mm-hmm. um, just because you kind of do need a new set of eyes. And, um, you know, I don't know. It, it does make you wonder um, what kind of an impact that has on the relationship between the manager and the players as well. You know, if you're not building towards this, this grandiose vision of how the game is played it might be a little bit tougher to keep their attention uh, and to keep that level of discipline you know, over five, six, seven seasons. Um, so, you know, maybe that's that's how these these clubs introduce uh, that little bit of discomfort just to keep the players on their toes. So, you know, whereas someone like Pep uh, or Klopp, Diego Simeone, I would say for them, you know, it, they are ideologues, you know. They're they're very consistent in the way they approach the game. It's just they do look at subtle tweaks within their models, um, and I think that those little tweaks they're enough to keep the players uncomfortable. And you know, you're either on board or you're not, and it's the players who leave the club, not the managers. Um, so you know, I, that is that is something that kind of struck me. I think the project managers, the ideologues. They're given a little more leeway, a little more time to to really implement their their project, mm-hmm. um, and I think the I don't know maybe there is something in the way they approach training sessions and and adapt the game model ever so slightly um, that keeps the players on their toes. Well, I think it's interesting as well if we flip the question because you spoke a minute ago about Sarri Ball and when he came to Chelsea, he's a manager. You need to give time to look what he did at Napoli. Look what he's doing at Lazio now. They're currently second, I want to say. No, they lost the other day, but I still think they're second in Serie A. He went to Chelsea, was given a year, and he was gone out the door. Same, you can say Juventus, he was there a year, won the title, gone out the door. But then you look at a club like Real Madrid, who notoriously appoint 
more adaptable managers like a Jose and then Rafa came in, I believe, after Ancelotti. And then there was Zinedine Zidane for three years. And then Lopetegui came in, who was who you you would classify as an ideologue. I believe in the, I mean he's a he won a Europa League too and in your piece I believe you labeled him as an ideologue. But then Zidane came back in and now Ancelotti again they're seeing success again. But Lopetegui was a unmitigated disaster, I want to say. Now and also I understand they lost Cristiano Ronaldo at the time. So it it you know I need to bear that in mind that it was a massive loss for the club. So there was a bit of a transition period, but they didn't really I mean it was one player. I know it was a massive player, a lot of goals, but they still kept the same core of your Modric, your Cruz, your Benzema, your Gareth Bale was there. But Lopetegui came in, an ideologue into a club where adaptable managers thrive and where there's that kind of Chelsea mentality where it's, you know, it's not... Real Madrid never struck me as a club you come into to build something. It was kind of you come in and, and you 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 use what you have, you buy players there and, and they want instant success. Mm. I mean, did, did, did you find that ideologues going into that kind of environment failed? So obviously at Bayern Munich, you're given a little bit of time well, I say that Julian Nagelsmann was sacked after a year and a half, but you know, like if you put uh, a Nagelsmann in charge of Real Madrid and told him instant success, but he's more of a manager, you'd need to to build something. If that makes sense to what I'm trying to say, did you find the ideologue struggle that those kind of clubs, like your Chelsea's, like sorry, but Chelsea are like you know Lopetegui with Real Madrid. Yeah, and you know, I would actually put Rafa Benitez in that ideologue category. If you look at the data, mm-hmm. he's very much bottom left quadrant every single time um you know and if you try to visualize it in terms of shape you know there really is that square effect when you when you coordinate the points and and that's something you see with Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp but on the diagonal quadrant so he does very much fit the but but he also fails as manager well yeah yeah you look at his Mm. time at Real Madrid he he was far too defensive yeah so you know I I think Real Madrid is the kind of club where the talent's already there. They don't they don't need you to to come in and and kind of fix something. Um, it, you're there to make the most of the talent that's available mm-hmm. as quickly as you can, uh, and as quickly as you can means right away. So if you don't do that, uh, you're going to get the the sack just like Lopetegui, just like Rafa Benitez. Um, you're there to make the existing parts work, and, and that's where I think you do get. Um, to me, one, possibly the greatest tactician, you know, in the past six, seven years in Zinedine Zidane. Uh, I mean, the work he did with the players at his disposal, um, you know, first few seasons with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I mean, phenomenal success in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Only manager with a three-peat in the, you know, the modern Champions League era. And I, actually, I think ever. Um, and then you look at you know, he takes a year off, comes back. Ronaldo's gone. Club's in a, a bit of shambles. I mean, realistically, you look at the you know the the goals per game difference and the XG difference from the Ronaldo era to post Ronaldo. They were a mess. The the year or two after Ronaldo left, mm-hmm. uh, and they were still conceding um, a lot of goals, which you know was a trend in Ronaldo's final years. But they didn't have that key player kind of carry the weight, put the team on their back and and get them over the line. So, you know, I, I think when you look at Zidane, it's first uh, stint, used his pieces beautifully, 
Um, very much an attack-oriented team. Really impressive attacking numbers uh, you know, against the top group of uh, opponents in 16-17. You know, they were averaging 2.52 goals per game. That's disgusting. I mean, that's, that's unreal. And then against you know the bottom teams, it was up to three goals a game. So Ooh. just absurd numbers. But then you look at uh, his final season at Madrid, uh, 2021, goals per game is down to 1.48. Goals mm-hmm. against the bottom opposition, 2.12. So very, very different teams, even ju- just with the one piece really missing it. And I guess you could probably say two. Um, you know, Gareth Bale's injuries did take a huge toll on the team. Um, so missing the the primary goal scorer in Ronaldo, but then also the primary wing creator in Bale, you know, that, that did take a massive toll on the club. Um, but I think with Zidane, you, you really get a sense of how tactically astute mm-hmm. he is and why he is the kind of manager who excels at a Real Madrid. And, you know, he's heard some links to uh, Juventus. I know Real Madrid would love to have him back, uh, you know, even if it is like two years on, two years off. <laughs> but he's the kind of manager who, with his understanding of the game, he can come in, make the quick fixes, and then he can have a lot of success. Um, I think especially continentally in those knockout formats. Yeah. I think that tactically, that tactical astuteness was really, really benefited Real Madrid in that three-peat they did of the Champions League. And not only was it the first team in the Champions League era to do the three-peat, it was the first team to retain the Champions League title in the Champions League era. I think the only other side was, I, I don't know, I, I feel Real Madrid did it the first time ever. I know they did it like six or seven in a row in the 50s and 60s. But in the Champions League era, they were, they were the first team to, and the only team, yeah, to retain their Champions League title. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's see this year. Real Madrid might do it again. But Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, I actually wanted to bring a quote in from Xavi to, to, to ask you your thoughts on it. Because this past week, he was asked about Real Madrid, and he said, he said along the lines of the knockout tournaments like the Champions League are unfair. And, and and it was something, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of that. Do you think that takes away a little bit from managers like Jose and like Zidane and like Ancelotti who have been so successful in Europe because of the way they manage and the way they handle games tactically and their adaptability? Or do you think, like, do you think it's just, Xavi seems to put it down to, like, like Pep almost does sometimes. He kind of just puts it down to, to fairness and adds uh, the luck, the element of luck in the Champions League, which, okay, in knockout competitions, you're always going to get that. There is an element of luck. But, do you th- I mean, surely there's more to it than that. Oh, definitely. And, you know, if if Xavi wants to discredit knockout <laughs> tournaments, then, uh, you know, just get rid of the World Cup, get rid of the Euros, get rid of all those trophies he won with Spain. Yeah. Uh, you know, we can take away Messi's World Cup title and his Copa America. So, uh, you know, if we want to go that route, then he has to... There are a lot of big trophies he has to take mm-hmm. away from himself and from... You know, the people in his close circles. Uh, I mean, that these are different competitions. So with the domestic competition, especially in league play, yeah, I guess we'll stay there. So league play versus Champions League. The demands on the coach, uh, the demands on the, the club and how they implement their tactics, their game model, they're different. So if you're Barcelona, you can have the same identity and just keep building it week after week after week after week. And in 
the the flow of the La Liga season, you're probably, you know, if you're getting 1% better every day, you know, that, those compounding effects, you're going to have a really good season. Mm-hmm. You're going to be really difficult to beat across the board, um, especially since you don't really have that much time to say, you know, oh, we play in three days. Well, let's redesign our system. You probably don't have a proper training session in that time. You know, if you're playing once a week, then yeah, you might have two, three decent training sessions. But there's just not the kind of time to prepare for a league game that you do mm-hmm. with the Champions League. So if I if I'm Carlo Ancelotti and I know that I have three weeks to prepare for Manchester City, I am going to know everything about City. I'm going to know exactly where they struggle, where you know where we have to kind of be on our guard, and I can design our tactics for that match in a way that's consistent with our game model to best present ourselves to attack their weaknesses and mm-hmm. protect ourselves against their strengths. I don't think you have that level of detail in the league, and I, you know, I, I think it is just a matter of the time available in preparation, and then also just your your training sessions. So, and you know, and also I, I would say look at the way most leagues run. I, I mean, how many leagues are still competitive at this point? If City, you know, I guess you could say the EPL, uh, the Bundesliga is is surprisingly. Very competitive this year, as opposed to previous years. Um, but usually by by mid April to early May, we kind of have an idea of who's going to win each of these leagues. So there is a little more time to kind of write off the the results that you need in league, and put a little more time and effort into um, the later stages of the Champions League. So and yeah, I mean he he's right. It, it's it is a totally different game. There is an element of luck there, but I think that's where you you can also say you get a battle of the minds very directly. Um, you know, it's it's not me against you and eighteen other teams. Mm-hmm. It's me and you. Here we go. So we're gonna yeah. we're gonna see who's got the the best tactics for this game. Winner take all. And well, in the later stages of Champions League as well, you have more top sides you will face a top side at one point if you if you somehow like no respect to to some of the teams that Liverpool played last year in the knockout stages but there was uh, Internazionale and then you had Benfica and Villarreal in the quarters and the semis and no disrespect about those clubs they did really well to get that far but it was only a matter of time before they met a great team and they met Real Madrid then in the final you know you can kind of you know, in some sense, Xavi is is kind of correct. Like you can get a lucky, not a lucky draw, but you can get a, a favorable draw to the final. But you will eventually have to face one of the best sides in Europe and a side that matches your quality. And it also reminds me. It actually, when I was mentioned the Xavi quote, it reminded me of something that Jamie Carragher said this past week on uh, Gary Neville's The Overlap on YouTube. Uh, Jamie Carragher said, and I quote. That Liverpool and Manchester City have been the best sides in Europe since Guardiola and Klopp have been going at it in the league, and I can't help but feel the illegitimacy of that statement since they've both combined won one Champions League in seven years, I believe. Now since Pep and Klopp have been kind of going at it, um. So I think like there's almost this thing of of trying to take away so much from that. 
element of being so adaptable in European competition, like your Zidane, like your Ancelotti's, like your Jose's, they want to say the Peps and the the clubs because of the success they have in, in their their leagues. You know, they're the best sides in Europe, but you're right. It's like you, you're you going to face, I don't I hate using this word, but you're going to face easier opponents in the league. You're going to face a Bournemouth twice a year. You're going to face a Southampton twice a year. Whereas in the Champions League, when you get to the knockout stages, Real Madrid had to face PSG. They had to face Chelsea. They had to face Manchester City and they had to face Liverpool. That's ridiculous. That's so difficult. That's 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 what seven matches against the top sides in Europe, and you need to come out on top in. I say all seven, but kind of the ties anyway. Well, well, just yeah, at least four of them. At least four of them. You need to come out on top favorably. So I think there's almost that the thing of people trying to take away from these, you know, the importance of European competition where more. Adaptable coaches win, and in your findings, did you? Well, actually, I'll talk. We'll talk about the domestic success in a minute, which was genuinely blew me away because my preconception was that managers like Pep would, you know, they were the ones who would who saw the most success in domestic competition. But yeah. as me and you spoke, or you and I spoke about, that was probably inflated because of Pep. But we'll discuss that in a minute. In terms of European competition, did the the data show that? more adaptable tactical coaches. I don't say the tactical coaches, but more adaptable coaches, I suppose, were more successful in European competitions than than your your ideologues. Yeah, and that's where, you know, this this group of coaches that you know I, I refer to as the tacticians, they were more successful in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, they won fifty seven percent of the the titles. And you know, I think ultimately, if you look just at the Champions League, they probably win a little bit more in the past 15 years. Um, so, I, you know, I, you know I, I think for me, going back to this, this character quote, to me, we get that kind of, I don't know, we, we get that kind of poor analysis just because City and Liverpool, they have very, very highly defined styles of play. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that highly defined style of play, with that game model, you're going to have a little more consistency, or it seems like you should have more consistency domestically year in, year out. Um, you know, it, it helps to have the manager there on a long-term basis. It helps that the recruitment strategy is is really just a means of refreshing the current squad rather than you know wholesale changes like Chelsea this year. Um Chemistry takes time. You know, players have to learn how to play with each other. Um, so I, I can see why there's that inflated view of the work that the ideologues do. And, and mm-hmm. you, know, I, you know, like you said, I, I think recency bias. We do say that um, the success that Klopp and, and Guardiola have had definitely plays an impact in the way we view the role of ideologues in domestic play. But when you look at Champions League play, again, it, it is a totally different animal. You can't you, you can't take the the games against Bournemouth and add it to your 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 uh, your success for the tournament. And that's where, with this data analysis, there had to be some kind of a distinction between the top teams and the bottom teams. You know, like I said, historically, you look at Real Madrid and Barcelona. They have very different results against the bottom half of the table. 
when Barcelona wins their league titles, it's historically because they have smashed the bottom half of the table. I, not even remotely close in, in terms of the number of points gained from you know bottom half for Barcelona versus Real Madrid. So that's carried them through. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I look at the past 20, 25 years between the two teams, and I, I think that's something consistent. Uh, it just seems like there are some games Real Madrid can't get up for. They really don't care to play Ivar. Barcelona does. <laughs> they have a great time playing Ivar. But you look at the Champions League, um, you look at the way Real Madrid plays against the top six in La Liga, then you start to see some distinctions between the two clubs. Yeah, Xavi, he's going to get his points against the bottom half of the table. Um, he's going to create that distance from Real Madrid in a you know a long-term domestic season over 38 games. But the games against those tougher teams, mm-hmm. the games against the teams that you could conceivably see playing knockout soccer or knockout, sorry, my Americanism crept in there, uh, playing knockout football, you know, come February, March, mm-hmm. April. May. Those are the the games where you kind of get a glimpse of the quality of the teams, the true quality. Um, well, it happened with Barcelona against Manchester United in, in, in February. They were knocked out of the Europa League and Barcelona are, of course, walking. I don't want to say walk, but they're comfortably going to win La Liga now. But then they were knocked out by Manchester United in the what the round of thirty two of the Europa League. Bar- Manchester United went to the new camp and were pretty excellent, especially in the second half. And then they beat them at Old Trafford too. And again, it was like, you know, yeah, you, you're going to face Ibar and you're going to face your your Girona's your Girona, sorry. And and but then it comes to knockout football and where you need to be a little bit more adaptable because you're facing top side, you're facing top players. Things won't always go right. And sometimes you'll you'll need to adapt, and then they 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 crumble a little bit. I'm not going to lie, and I was kind of surprised by Barcelona in the second leg. I feel like the sorry, I feel like this podcast is a lot of Barcelona hate, and I don't mean to, to I don't mean for it to sound like that, but I did feel a little bit that they crumbled a little bit in the second half at Old Trafford, especially. They were one 0 up, they were leading in the tie. I remember they they took the lead through a, a Robert Lewandowski penalty, I believe. Second half, then it was really poor, and they they struggled to create many chances, if any. And it was like, you know, they 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 couldn't adapt. Manchester United changed things. My, Eric Ten Hag, credit to him, I remember made a change with the the way they pressed, and Barca didn't adapt to that. They kept trying to play that same way, and they eventually kind of some problem. Yeah, yeah. So I think when you when you look at the the way that um, that a guy like Pep Guardiola approaches the game, you know. This year, he's changed his model a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, he he has the two center backs now, which you know we we've spoken in a previous podcast about how his his um you know his setup tended to have you know either a two three rest defense at the back or a three two, but then I I think when you look at his season uh, currently, that's still in play. You know, it's two center backs at left back and right back, and mm-hmm. how they pinch into midfield. Um, you know they're a little more comfortable on the the ball than some of the outside backs in the squad, but it's it's still ultimately the same setup. So a different way to implement it for definitely, but still the same setup. Um, you know, and, and this reminds me of a, a Fede Valverde quote after the uh, the Champions League final last year, which you know we're uh, going to get a little bit of dirt here on uh, the Liverpool squad, but. 
know, I said it was easier to track Andy Robertson than what, than it was to track his toddler. So <laughs> when you are so identifiable, when you are, do have a system that's so strongly implemented, it is easier for mm-hmm. adaptable teams to pick you apart, to pick out your strengths, your weaknesses, and really exploit them. And when you look at Real Madrid's uh, Champions League season last year, that's what they did. So they 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 took these these overarching um, views of the opposition's game model. They knew that Pep, that Klopp, that they were going to play a specific style, and that's what they attacked. They attacked the game model. So there, I I do think when you when you are you know mano a mano, it's it's me against you in the knockout rounds of the Champions League final. Mm-hmm. If you're showing your hand early, you're at a disadvantage. And now for you to overcome that disadvantage, you have to be so supremely good at implementing your brand if you want to have any success. I mean, look at Glory Years Barcelona, you know, their their golden generation. They were so dominant in applying their model that they they just success was inevitable. Um, and that was both domestically and um, in in Europe as well, but they were supreme, supremely good. And you know, is is City at that point this year? Maybe I guess we're gonna find out. Um, you know, knockout or semifinals coming up, but I think that's to me that's where if you are going to be the ideologue, if you are going to play a very very specific brand, that's I think one that's especially very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know one that that takes initiative through attacking tactics you have to be dominant in the way you apply them because otherwise it really only takes one crack to destroy the foundation uh, to destroy the whole structure so and the best tacticians they are they're supremely good at identifying weaknesses and just ruthlessly exploiting them mm-hmm. And the last thing I wanted to ask you is, and this was the most surprising part of all, it's the big reveal at the end, almost. But the the more adaptable tacticians trumped on the domestic stage as well, which blew me away. And I, I, I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but you and I spoke about this before where I said to you that maybe the day is, and I think actually you, you sent me what the conclusion was before you made the piece. And I said to you, maybe it's because of Pep Guardiola inflating the kind of inflating the day a little bit, which maybe it was, we all, we all have, you know, this preconception that ideologues and, and are, are dominant in their own leagues. But when you think of how many league titles Pep Guardiola's won since he was at Barcelona in 2008, nine, he probably inflates that day a lot. But in your piece, it turns out that the tacticians are better in the domestic stage. Talk to me a little bit about that before we wrap up. Cause that, that genuinely blew me away. Yeah, that was that was a shock to me as well. Uh, and maybe this is just because of the work Pep Guardiola has done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I used to say that you know the, the Champions League, you know, any of six teams could win the title, but Man City or Chelsea will win it. So, you know, that, that was kind of my my knock on the the EPL being a two team league because mm-hmm. um, I think before Liverpool really became a contender 
it almost did seem to to alternate between City and and Chelsea for you know for a l- little bit of time, you know, especially after Sir Alex left. Yeah. Um, which you know, Sir Alex definitely one of the premier tacticians of the game. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, I don't know. It, when you look at the the recent Premier League results, it, it's very favorable to the ideologues. And maybe that's what swayed us, Adam. Maybe seeing their success and, and just the fact that it seems like wherever Pep goes, they win the league. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's where that that pre-study bias came in. Because uh, I, I was definitely like you, like-minded, thought that the the ideologues would maybe even have like as much as a sixty percent advantage here. Um, but it was very, very interesting to find that over the course of. 15 years across these four leagues that the tacticians won the league 55% of the times. And that, all I could, when I saw that number, all I could think of was if you took Pep out of that, how much different the numbers would be in favor of the, the adaptable kind of tacticians. I thought that was bizarre because how many times Pep, you, you look at how many times Pep's won the league, but then you see that 55% and you think if you take him out of that, the numbers are, are, are not even close. Oh yeah. I mean, how many, Times has the guy won the the league in in uh, the past fifteen years? With like twelve, I think he only hasn't won it three times since two thousand and nine. There was one with Barcelona when Jose won it with Real Madrid. There was uh, when he first came to, or, and two sorry in England, uh, his fourth season in England when Chelsea won it, and twenty nineteen twenty when Liverpool won the Premier League. They were the only times. So yeah, three times in his in 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 fourteen years. Yeah, so I mean, let's let's say he. He's won it twelve times in the the past mm-hmm. fifteen years. Um, you know that that bring so right now at the the end of the piece. You know, spoiler spoiler alert here. So I'll turn it down if you if you don't want to hear it. But the result was one hundred and two league and cup titles for the tacticians versus eighty four for the ideologues. So that that comes to to a fifty five percent share. Now, if you mm-hmm. take away, let's you know, let's say twelve league titles for Pep, um, and who knows how many cups? I' not even going to go there. Um, that brings it down to you know roughly seventy two. Um, that's you know one hundred two to to seventy two. That's you know that's that's a pretty massive difference there. Yeah, you're talking two towards probably to the tech, the, uh, the adaptable tacticians. Yeah, exactly. So the numbers yeah. absolutely blew me away. And and we actually, with the release of this magazine, I believe when we're recording this in about seven days, approximately, we'll have a chance to put it to the test as Real Madrid face Manchester City. The the adaptable tactician versus the ideologue. It's going to be an absolute, again, for the second consecutive year running in the semi-final of the Champions League. And I'm really looking forward to it. Scott, where can people find you? Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Coach Scott Copy. And the website Scott Martin Media. So should I've got a interesting idea for a for a blog post for this week. So looking at professional uh, professional football infrastructure in the U.S. and kind of where it is and where it could go. Uh, so kind of a utopian view that I think by the time this is released should be available. So nice. check it out. Go check it out then. And I'm uh, I'm glad this time that you. I think you, you remember the last time, but the first time you came on, you I kind of 
put you on the spot with this question and you didn't read even though your own uh, Twitter username. So I'm glad you have it. I'm glad you, you have them already. It shows how active I was back then. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you have them already. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, it was an amazing chat again. And to the listeners at home, please do go check the piece out. It, the, the, the stuff we talked about on this podcast, I didn't cover about 20 questions that I wanted to ask up because we've came way over time and, and it's, it's an absolutely amazing piece and you'll love it. And as well, I hope you enjoyed. Make sure to tune in on Tuesday for another regular episode of the TFA Scouted Podcast. Also, tune in next Friday too because we have a Premier League winner coming on the podcast. Oh. I hope. So let's let's let's. I, I'm saying that now. If 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 it doesn't happen, I'm going to delete this out of the episode. But yeah, we could have a Premier League winner next Friday. So keep keep an eye out. Uh, make sure to rate the podcast too and share it with your followers, friends, and families. It really helps us to grow. Thank you all for listening, and goodbye for now. <laughs>